You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. In verse 4, more Jews believe the Word of God. So when you preach the gospel, one of the results of preaching the gospel is going to be people receiving the gospel and being converted and coming into the kingdom of God. They go from 3,000 to almost 5,000. They increase. Secondly, we see the religious leaders of the nation rejecting the message and try to silence the apostles. Whenever the gospel is preached, you can expect success and you can expect opposition. Keep sharing the good news of the gospel. Sometimes when you share about what Jesus has done, you're met with opposition. However, Pastor Dave urges you in today's message to continue to be bold in your faith. It's not always easy being a disciple of Jesus. Be strong and courageous, for God is with you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 4. As he begins his message, the religious leaders respond. Turn to Acts chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 4 today. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. So if you'll follow along, read silently as I read aloud. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. For it is already evening. However... Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Have you ever noticed how traditions play an important part in our lives? We probably could all agree that traditions are important in each family, and each family has their own traditions, and each family sets up their own traditions. For example, some of them might be what you might eat on Christmas Eve, depending upon your origin, that might be a tradition, or what you eat on New Year's Day. You know, I grew up eating pork and sauerkraut because my father was German, and that's what we had to have on New Year's Day or the year wasn't going to be successful. When I moved out west, they had something with black-eyed peas. The same thing. And then I know there are other places where they have different foods and stuff that you have to eat on New Year's Day. If you don't eat this, your year's ruined, according to the family tradition. But there's even traditions as where you sit in church. When I look around, I can sometimes tell where people are going to be by where they usually sit. I know that certain people are going to be in special areas, so I know when I look at a certain place, I know where people are, will be. And it's tradition. We have to sit in that. And heaven forbids you come in and somebody's sitting in your seat. What am I going to do? Oh, my gosh. And every once in a while, you guys get wind on it, and you change on me, and all of a sudden I go, wait a minute, I'm looking for you over there, and you're sitting over here. So you even messed me up, but that's okay. But these traditions are important. Some of you celebrate birthdays traditionally. Well, we always do this on a birthday, or we always do that, and, you know, depending upon the age of your children. Some of you take vacations traditionally. Well, we always go to this place. My wife and I, when we want to get away from everything, we go to the shore. That's Ocean City, Maryland. Even when we lived in Ocean City, New Jersey, we used to travel to Ocean City, Maryland to get away because that's we always went there for our thing. 
But these are just a few traditions. Traditions have a place in our culture. I'm not saying they don't. And they've had a place in society for a long time. We've grown accustomed to these traditions. And we see these traditions even being played out now as you grow older. And if you have children, and as the children grow older and they get married, they have children, you see the traditions of your household being carried on through the children that you might have and through their families. A tradition is a ritual. It's a belief or an object that is passed down within society. It's still maintained in the present, but it has origins in the past. A common examples were holidays, like we said. How we celebrate our holidays are very traditional. In fact, many people think of tradition when it comes to holidays. Also, there's clothing. Did you ever think that clothing was be a tradition? Well, let me, let me suggest to you. In certain countries, it's traditional that judges and lawyers wear wigs. And they still wear them today because they've always wore them. It's a tradition to wear these wigs when they are in court, whether you be a lawyer or whether you be a judge. These are traditions. In some parts of the world, like I said, it still happens. But the idea has also been applied to our social norms, such as greetings, such as greetings. Like, do you say, hello? Or do you say, how do you do? Today, you might say, hey. Or you might say, what's up? My favorite is, yo. These are traditions that have passed down that we've kind of picked up. Traditions can persist and evolve for thousands of years. In fact, the word tradition itself is, is derivative of a Latin word. The Latin word is tradere, like T-R-A-D-E-R-E, or traitorer. This literally means to transmit, to hand over, to give for safekeeping, and new traditions continue to appear today as we hand these over, these traditions that we were taught. We were taught from our fathers, they were taught from their parents, and so you hand these traditions down. While it's commonly assumed that traditions have ancient history, many traditions, however, have been invented on purpose. There's a purpose behind their invention, whether it be political or cultural, but we certainly know that traditions have been invented for religious reasons. Traditions have been invented for religious reasons. How many of you ever seen the play Fiddler on the Roof? What a great play. I love that play. It's one of my most favorite, and my wife and I always seem to end up watching it every single time it comes on TV. You know, I almost can tell you the words by heart, but I just love that, that play. As you know, the story centers around a man named Tevya. He has five daughters, and he attempts to maintain the family and the Jewish traditions, these religious traditions that have been handed down to him, and he wants to maintain these things from outside influences. He wants to keep these traditions alive. He must cope with the strong-willed actions of all his daughters as they go against these traditions and find husbands on their own, heaven forbid, instead of through the matchmaker, Yenta. And also, he has to go against the traditions that the Tsar of Russia is putting onto the Jews as they evict them from the land, as they throw them out of the land. It's a wonderful story. In fact, my most favorite song from the story is the opening song, Tradition when he goes through this whole thing and he talks about all the traditions that they have. And you have to be the perfect papa and you have to be the perfect mama and you have to be the perfect daughter and the perfect son. And now each one of them has a specific role to play in the family according to tradition. And they must do that. And it's very important to him. And you can see this tradition, how important it was. Religion has long been steeped in traditions from the robes that the priests wear to the garb that the ministers wear to the text of the liturgies. 
and even certain prayers that are prayed at specific times. These are all done by tradition. They are all done from tradition. However, religious traditions can become dangerous. They can become harmful when they keep us from the Lord. This happens when traditions take priority over the Word of God. When traditions take priority over the Word of God, then they become difficult. They become harmful. When in a church we do things because we've always done it that way, that becomes difficulty. We need to know, well, why are we doing it? Is there a biblical base for what we do? And can we support it biblically? We need to know that. We should examine that to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe, according to Scripture, that there needs to be order in the church. There needs to be an order that is established. I believe that. And there also needs to be room for the Holy Spirit in the church. The Holy Spirit needs to have a room to work in our lives. We cannot be so rigid that we refuse the power of God. Remember our slogan or our beatitude that we added from a couple weeks ago. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. We need to be flexible, allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. As we begin chapter 4 in the book of Acts, it begins with the religious leaders of the day responding to the healing of the lame man. They're responding to Peter's explanation of what happened to the man, how he was healed, why he was healed, and who healed him. So the religious leaders are responding to that. In fact, today's message is basically entitled, the religious leader's response. They're going to respond now to what Peter is doing in the midst of their own temple. Unfortunately, this interpretation that they're going to make of Peter's sermon is based on ignorance again. It's based on lack of knowledge. And it's also based on tradition, and it's based on jealousy. So we're going to look at that in a deeper way. We read in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Now as they, the they being that the apostles... As they spoke, in other words, as Peter and John and the people that were with them continued to speak, I'm sure after Peter's sermon, they broke up into little crowds and each one of them came out and spoke in their little crowd. It says, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Within the temple that day, I guess it was pretty hard to hide these believers. I mean, after all, There was close to several thousands of them. Can you imagine trying to hide this gang on Solomon's porch? I would imagine it was kind of elbow to elbow on Solomon's porch because there were so many of these new believers. They weren't inconspicuous. They were quite conspicuous. It was kind of hard to hide this group because they were shouting and hooting and hollering because of what they had just witnessed. They had just witnessed a miracle. A lame man, lame for 40 years, had been restored. He had been given his legs again. His legs had completely restored. And there he was in front of them, leaping and praising God and giving glory to God. You would think this would be a wonderful thing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for one minute passing by a man every single day for a long time, knowing that this man had been there, maybe possibly before you were born, who was lame, and every day you passed him because you are a good Jew. You go to temple every day. And you pass this guy every single day as he sat at the gate. Every once in a while you threw him something, but most of the time you didn't. Can you imagine when you got in there that day and you're standing there and all of a sudden he comes walking in, praising God and shouting, you go, wait a minute, what would go through your mind? Well, maybe you think, well, I've been duped. That guy's been been able to walk all along. Or maybe you're going, wow, what happened? Was this really a miracle? 
Now, they believed the miracles. They saw the miracles that Jesus did. They know what miracles are. There were miracles that Elisha performed, and Elijah did miracles. They're, they're very aware of miracles. So this excitement was overflowing. Can you imagine if that person walked in there today, a person that you knew was lame, and they walked in there today giving praises to the Lord? What would you do? You would be, you would be so amazed. It would be wonderful. But all this commotion drew the attention of the leaders drew the attention of the religious leaders, and they wanted to see what the commotion was about. They wanted to investigate to themselves what was going on. And this is a good thing. The leaders of the church investigating what was going on is good. It's the responsibility of the shepherd to investigate any new and strange teaching that might come into the temple or come into the church. You want to investigate that to make sure where it's coming from and is it real, what's happening. So what they're doing is good. Most shepherds don't want their flock going after strange doctrine. They don't want their flock to be deceived. So they want to know what's happening within the flock. The problem in this case is, however, that the leaders were acting out of jealousy. They were more jealous of Peter and John than they were concerned for their flock. They were afraid of losing power, and they were afraid of losing control over the people. They were afraid of losing their status. Trust me, there were great perks back then for being a religious leader. Every time they walked around, people oohed and ah at their presence. They got the best seats in the temple, the best seats here, the best seats there. They were given things constantly. They had a lot of benefit. They had a great benefit package. It's pretty good. You know, they were able to do these things. So a religious leader, they didn't want anybody messing with that. They didn't want anybody messing with the fact that I'm getting all these things. Don't come in and tell me there's another way. The leaders saw the lame man. They visually saw the lame man. They listened to what Peter had to say, and they listened to his explanation. And when Peter mentioned the name of Jesus, they bristled. They bristled because they say, wait a minute. How can you be guys following a common criminal? I mean, after all, in their mind, Jesus had been arrested. He had been tried. He had been convicted, and he had been executed according to the law by the Romans. Who are they to say that Jesus wasn't guilty? They're just going by what they know but they were ignorant. Remember that word when we talked about it, the ignorant, they lacked knowledge. The priests that are mentioned here were the Levites. They were the Levites who were in charge of attending to the sacrifices, the burning of incense, and leading the prayers. Also mentioned here is the captain of the temple. This basically was the temple police. They did anything the leaders told them to do, and they kept order within the church. They kept order within the sanctuary. They kept order within the area. They were the ones charged with making sure things were done orderly. They were at the beck and call of the leaders. Then you have the Sadducees. As we will see shortly, it was the mention of the resurrection of the dead that really fueled the fire within the Sadducees. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. That's an old joke. That joke's been around. I think that joke was told even before I was born. That's an old joke. But anyhow, and it still works. Thank you, Jesus. They didn't believe in the resurrection. In those days, there were two sects of rulers. Sex, S-E-C-T-S, not S-E-X. There were two sets of rulers. The religious rulers in the system of the Jews consisted of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I'm sure you're more familiar with the Pharisees than you are with the Sadducees. Although the Pharisees are not specifically mentioned here, I'm sure they were involved. I'm sure they were there. It was the Pharisees who were instrumental in the death of Jesus Christ. It was the Pharisees who were the ones who accused Jesus Christ of going against their traditions and going against the word, the oral code of God. It was the Pharisees that did that. 
These two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, differed in their interpretation of the law. And they differed in other religious issues as well, especially the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed in the afterlife. There always was this, this commotion among the set. They were the religious leaders. We're going to spend some time this morning looking at these two groups, these religious leaders of that day. And as we look, I want to compare them with attitudes that might exist in the church today. You don't think that Sadducees and Pharisees still are alive and are still practicing today unless we're in Israel. But it's the attitudes that I want to address. The attitudes that they held and what they believed in filters into the church from time to time, and that's what I want to look at, that attitude. The most important of these two groups were the Pharisees. They were the spiritual fathers of Judaism. Their main distinguishing characteristic was a belief in the oral law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, along with the Torah. The Torah is the written word. The oral law is the interpretation of the written word. They believed that Moses was given an interpretation. They took this interpretation, and they basically copied it down, and they codified it. In other words, they made it law. The problem is they keep adding to the interpretations. They keep changing the interpretations. Many of these traditions still exist today. These laws continue to be interpreted. For example, the law of the Sabbath. What is the commandment of the Sabbath? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember? That's what the law says. The oral law, the interpretation says you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And then all of a sudden they started to describe what work looked like. What does work look like to you? Remember, they accused Jesus of not obeying the Sabbath when he healed a man on the Sabbath in Mark 3. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, and they got all upset because he was working on the Sabbath. They considered a healing work. There was a time also in Mark when Jesus and his disciples were walking through a, a cornfield, and some of the disciples took an ear of corn, and they were eating it. And they got all mad at them because of the fact that they were working. They pulled that ear of corn off, and Jesus talked to them about that. They were very angry with him. The Pharisees believed in these oral interpretations. They believed so badly that nowadays, when you go to Israel on the Sabbath day and you walk into an elevator, all the buttons are pushed. They're set to stop at every floor. Why? Because it's work to push a button to get off of a particular floor. And they don't want to disobey the Sabbath. That's how crazy the law has gotten. That's how crazy the laws have been changed. That's how crazy these traditions now are so important. Jesus fought with these people. Jesus argued with these people constantly. The Pharisees also maintained that an afterlife existed and that God punished the wicked and rewarded the righteous in the world to come. The Pharisees also obviously believed in the resurrection. They also believed in the Messiah who would be heralded in the end and the world of peace. These oral traditions, these oral laws, is why the Pharisees disapproved of Jesus, what I said before. The Pharisees placed more importance upon these oral interpretations than they did the law. They thought what they had written down and the way they interpreted the law were more, was more important than the actual law itself. There's one in here in Mark, I think it's in Mark 7, where they're angry at Jesus. They say, why don't your disciples wash before each meal? Now, this is not hygienic washing. This is a ceremonial washing where they washed in a ceremonial way because it was a tradition. And because Jesus' disciples wasn't doing that, they accused him of defiling. They were, he was defiled. And remember what Jesus said to them? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of his heart is what defiles a man. 
So they had it all wrong. But see, they were living by a tradition. They were living, living by an interpretation that was make. The tradition took precedence and was more important than God's word. You know, throughout the gospels, Jesus goes against these traditions and he speaks out against the gospels. He constantly got him into trouble when he spoke out against the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the day. We're going to look at Matthew 23 in a little while where Jesus comes against these scribes and Pharisees. He casts judgments on them in the form of many woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, he says, in many different ways. We're going to look at that in a little while. The other sect, as we said, they're known as the Sadducees. They were elitists. They were better than anybody else. They were aristocrats. There was a caste system, and they wanted to keep the caste system the way it was. The priest on top and everybody else down below. When Jesus told the disciples not to lord it over them, he was talking about the Sadducees who knew that they had a high position, and they used it to rule with great command and great authority. They rejected the idea of an oral law. Instead, they insisted upon a literal interpretation of the written law, which makes them what? Legalists. They were legalists. They constantly didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in a resurrection because it wasn't mentioned in the Torah. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. Their main focus of the Sadducee life were the rituals associated with the temple. These written laws that Moses laid down in Exodus. The Sadducees disappeared, interesting enough, in 70 AD after the destruction of the second temple. None of the writings of the Sadducees ever survived. So we know little about them when it comes to what they were against the Pharisees and their opponents. We do know, however, that these two parties joined to create one great big ruling council. The name of this ruling council we will study in a few weeks was called the Sanhedrin. It was called the Sanhedrin. You've probably heard of it before. There were 70 of them. And the, and the Sadducees outnumbered the Pharisees because of their nobility. The Pharisees were kind of like a blue, blue-collar guys where the Sadducees were kind of the elitists. They were the aristocrats. It's interesting when you start looking at chapter 3 and you see the Lord working a great miracle with the two apostles, through the two apostles. You see a lame man healed. He's been lame since birth, but he receives strength in his legs and he walks and he praises God. The man is completely restored by God. And you would think that this would be looked upon as a great thing, a wonderful restoration. You would think that this would be good, but the rulers didn't see it that way. They questioned the healing. They questioned how he was healed. They became jealous and they became fearful. They viewed what happened as an affront against their religion. These religious men did not want to give up control over the people and they didn't want to give up their traditions. It's another interesting point worth noting is you see here in this passage in verses one through four, the results of preaching the gospel. And there are two of them. You see the results right here. First of all, you have in verse four, more Jews believe the word of God. So when you preach the gospel, one of the results of preaching the gospel is going to be people receiving the gospel and being converted and coming into the kingdom of God. They go from 3,000 to almost 5,000. They increase. Secondly, we see the religious leaders of the nation rejecting the message and try to silence the apostles. Whenever the gospel is preached, you can expect success and you can expect opposition. You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth. 
even when it cost him his life? What courage in the midst of opposition? Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope. Oh